corporate prayer in the early church. Corporate prayer in the early church. Acts chapter 4, 23 to 30. I hope you have a Bible in some form or another. Do not just rely on the screens. I get it, that underlining, you can see little things, but do your work. Have a text. Acts 4, 23. Speaking of Peter and, and John imprisoned, I'll talk about it. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, that's the church, they, they, did you do this this morning? They lifted their voices, not their thoughts, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, now quoting Psalm 2, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot invade in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. Nothing new in that, church. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. When they had prayed, I'll leave that. Did I give you a wrong slide? I think I did. Pick up at 29, right? Is that where we are? And now, Lord, and now, Lord, look, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Let's pray. Help us, Lord Jesus, that your word, that your word lands on our hearts like seed on good soil, soil that's ready to receive what you have so that neither the love of this world nor the cares of this world. It's not just that they stress us out. It's that they can choke out your word. Let your word bear fruit in all of our hearts, both sides of the pulpit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Point number one. Notice first, the need for a demonstration of the power of God in this fallen world. This whole story has its beginning um, as the result of a miracle. There's a lame man, and he's healed as Peter and John are en route to the temple. That's back in chapter 3, 1 to about verse 10. This lame man. 
this lame man at the gate of the temple. And you have this graphic, you have this graphic picture of, of human need, the, the plight of our world. And there's all sorts of people who go by while this lame man is sitting at the gate of the temple. And it just becomes obvious when you read this account, all the people that go by this lame man at the gate of the temple, it becomes obvious that there are, there are needs, there are needs that go unmet just in the power of doctrinally systematized, organized religion. All the people on their way to practice their religion. And this lame man is still lame at the gate of the temple. You notice all sorts of people pass. All sorts of people are going to worship. All sorts of people are devoted to God. And somehow, somehow you catch a glimpse, just a glimpse in this story of, of uh, religion unaccompanied by the living power of Jesus. There's a religion being practiced there as all of these orthodox, sound, good people are making their way to their place of worship. There's a religion being practiced that's never going to reach this lame man. That's what we're meant to see. He's right there at the place where these people go to do their business with God. And there he sits. Point number two. This manifestation, this miracle of God's living touch, it appears to be just sort of random at first, but it isn't. It flows out of the church's corporate prayer life. 31 to 33. And, and when, they had, when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. And now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. No one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. They had everything in common. Keep going. And... and And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. It's a sad commentary on much of contemporary organized church. That this description of this prayer meeting, it reads like an unusual aberration. From the normal routine of church activity. I know these verses follow the miracle. But they also describe the ongoing results of the church's prayer meeting. 
We know from other passages in Acts that this wasn't just a a shot-in-the-dark prayer meeting. I mean, the early church was constantly together to pray. It was their their first line of resource to the situations beyond the scope of their natural ability. You just prayed. In other words, this kind of meeting was, was built in as a habit into the ongoing life of the early church. It was clearly, clearly, when you read the book of Acts, this is a a pattern, a pattern set up for today's church as well. I want to spend more time here. Point number three. So don't get your hopes up that we went through those first two points rather quickly. Peter and John give their account of the meaning of the miracle that had just taken place. It comes, it comes about in the first part of chapter 4. There are three truths that kind of stand out in verses 10 through 18. First, the power experience came from Jesus. You see that in verses 10 to 12. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that that by the name of Jesus, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him, that's Jesus, this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. In these great words, and, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. I hope you see the link here. It's quite striking. The power of Jesus to save, that's, that's what this is about. The power of Jesus to save is linked It's in the same context with the power of Jesus to touch, to deliver, to minister, to heal, to answer prayer. This has has been almost totally erased for many denominations in today's church. In this Acts account, people would know Jesus was the cornerstone right there. They would know Jesus is the cornerstone, not just by taking the disciples' word for it, but because they would see the touch of Jesus in their lives. They would know Jesus is the cornerstone because that lame man got up and walked. Whatever else stands out, it's obvious the church had better not forget about calling expectantly on the name of Jesus. Nothing else will ever substitute for his presence, his touch. We're not just called to know certain truths about Jesus. That's very important. We're called to introduce people to Jesus. And and the prayer life of the church is, is that gateway into his life and presence and touch. I said there were three things. That's the first. Power, it came from Jesus. Second, It was obvious to everyone that these disciples had been with Jesus. I get that in verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, 
They perceived that they were uneducated, common men, and they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been, they had been with Jesus. Just allow me to try and shine, to shine up a little bit what is obvious in that text. Just look at that phrase. They had been, they had been with Jesus. They had been with, underline, with Jesus. Let, let those words land with a kind of literalness that we frequently overlook. That praying isn't just speech. It is that, but it, it's more. It's being with Jesus. So, so when, you know, we had that stretch in, in, in the last few months before summer where we would get together at, at 7.45 and, and you get your 30, 40, sometimes 50 people and you're in there praying And I'm not sure that every time I walk into that room and sit there, I let it land on my heart that I'm not just with these people, I am, and I'm not just talking to Jesus. I, I know what prayer is. But when I go into that room, I am with Jesus. Like with Jesus. How many people would stay home if they thought, you know, I'm going to go and I'm going to be, I'm actually going to be with Jesus. They had been with him. That's what the people noticed. They'd been with Jesus. Prayer is being with Jesus. It's never solitary. It's not pretending to be with Jesus. I know. You know I know. Jesus isn't now physically present, nor was he physically present when these disciples ministered and prayed. But these disciples were with Jesus in a way that is just as real as when they were with Jesus before his ascension. Let that sink in. They were with Jesus, not physically, but in a way just as real as they were with him before he was ascended in with Jesus. I feel convicted. I feel convicted when I think that through. It wasn't, so you got all these onlookers, these onlookers who aren't religious people. Just average people. It wasn't just obvious Here's what I would have said. It would have been obvious to these people that these disciples knew about Jesus. That would make sense. The people, people who as of yet didn't even know Jesus, they knew these disciples had been in the presence of Jesus, that they somehow carried the presence of Jesus with them, so to speak. That was the, the, the reality of the touch and presence and power of the Holy Spirit with them. All these non-religious people, they looked and said, You've been with Jesus. Do you think you could hold the crowds of people in this room if everywhere we went 
People looked at me, they looked at you and said, oh, you've been with Jesus. There's his life in you. I see it. What do people see about us? It's a pretty deeply probing question. Do, 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 they, do they see that we're against homosexuality? Do we see we don't swear or take the Lord's name in vain? Do they see we know more about the Bible than they do? Maybe. But, but, but do, do they sense something else? Do they sense more than just me in everything I do? Do they see a life a power? Do they see a presence of Jesus that clearly is beyond my own entity wherever I go? Something else that's beautiful in this. Still under that point about being with Jesus. Prayer is being with Jesus. Not just talking to Jesus. It's being with Jesus. And yet you don't see... They've just, they've just touched this lame man, and he's, we used to sing, walking and leaping and praising God. Sang it in Sunday school. And, and, and how easy it would be, and you don't see it. You don't see Peter and John snorting about how great their faith was. Doing some podcasts about techniques offered for power and prayer. There's no grandstanding. These men, these men have been with Jesus. The onlookers weren't just guessing. They knew these disciples had been with Jesus. They, they probably said, as they touched that lame man, they probably said, wait, wait a minute. We've seen stuff like this before. Not that long ago. That's what Jesus did. And now he's still at work. He's working through his followers. Think deeply about this. Jesus Jesus talked about the meaning of being with him. It doesn't come just by reading books, even good books. It's more than just singing songs. There's There's a spiritual ingraining that only the Holy Spirit can bring about. There's an internalness to the whole process. One life penetrating another. Jesus said it was like a branch being in a vine. You you can't just lie them down beside each other, not even very closely to each other. Only prayer and through prayer can the Holy Spirit enter my life beyond just my own thoughts and abilities. These onlookers weren't yet believers. And even they recognized people who had been with Jesus, people who carried his touch in their daily lives. These were plain, ordinary people. Anybody else like that? Can I see your hand? Plain, ordinary? I got news for you. There's a lot more than that in this place. Plain, ordinary people. People like you, people like I. But none of those were the important factors. They had been with Jesus. Prayer is being with Jesus. The third thing, I said there were three thoughts there. There will always be resistance 
to the presence, power, work of Jesus in this fallen world. I get that in verses 17 and 18. These are some of the strangest words in your New Testament. So now the leaders are going to let Peter and John go. But they've got a bit of a speech. And here's, here's what they say. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. How about God, religion, we're out, not, not that name. And so they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Now, regardless of your religious beliefs, these have to be some of the strangest words ever recorded, and they prove, they just prove the reality and presence of Satan and the powers of darkness in this age. But See that in 17? But in order that it may spread no further. It. In order that what spreads no further? Healing? Sick, sick people being well? Wholeness? Joy? Life? In order that this spreads no further. No more of this stuff. Where, where, where could that attitude of heart possibly come from? And there's only one reasonable answer. Satan. I know that it works out in different ways in the protection of a, of a religious establishment. I get the, the politics of it, but behind it, behind it. Wherever the cause of Christ is advanced, wherever the touch of Jesus is realized... We need to know that there will always be forces at work to squeeze the life of Jesus out of that situation. That individual, that marriage, that family, that church. It's exactly what Paul was describing in a longer passage. Let me just read it to you. In Ephesians 6, 10 to 20. Paul says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And, and put, on, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Can you hear Paul saying it? We don't wrestle with flesh and blood. But against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. And so he says it again. Take up the whole armor of God. Don. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Having your stand, having fastened on the belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness, 
Notice how it starts with truth. Fascinating. You can't compromise there and get anything right down the road. You, you can't start just emphasizing love. You have to start emphasizing truth because love rejoices in the truth. The belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, you're a proclaimer, a goer. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now listen, and, and, and this is the only one that's just for all the time. And praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me in in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I'm already in prison. I'm an ambassador in chains. Notice, don't, don't pray that I be released and out of my chains. Pray that God opens my mouth and everybody that comes by my cell hears the gospel. I love that. I love that. Where did Paul get all those ideas? He didn't pick this up in some seminary library. Paul saw this battle as he took the message and life of Jesus into cities and into towns. This had to be reckoned with. That this spread no further. No more. You have to confront that in the prayer life of the church. And now I want to do that. Point number four. Given that reality, no more of this stuff in the name of Jesus. We forbid it. Point four, study the reaction of Peter and John. I have several things I want to go over here. Verses 23, 24, and then 29. And when they were released, it's Peter and John, they went to their friends. That's the church. And they reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. Here's what happened. And when they, that's the rest of the church. This is one of my favorite passages. And when they heard it, those dirty leaders, man, oh man, we got to get some new people in power. I'm telling you, what a mess this situation's in. No. can't believe how hard it's getting to follow Jesus. Oh, man, our kids, they don't have a ghost of a chance. What a mess. No. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. And said... Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. 29. And now, Lord, look upon their threats. Does this sound like Paul from Ephesians? And grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Here's what they did. Here's what Peter and John did. First. 
That's the wrong one. Don't look at that one. Don't look at that yet. They went to their companions. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. They, they were, don't miss this, they were, they were so linked with their community of faith it never dawned on Peter and John to somehow manage, cope, or even pray for this situation alone. It never dawned on them just to go home, kneel by their bed, and say, oh, Jesus, please help me to be a better Christian. The, the reflex point of these disciples was to link their situation with the prayer of the rest of the body of Christ. That was their first line of action. They didn't look for a good book on the subject of faith. They didn't get the phone number of a good counselor. Not knocking any of that. They didn't seek a lawyer for litigation advice. They didn't just say, well, let's grit our teeth and try and face this storm. None of that. They immediately said, we need the church. We need everybody praying about this. That's the ticket. We need everybody praying about this. But more than that, they, 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 here's what's implied. Let's just, let's just go to our believers. You know why? They'll pray. They're not just going to form a committee and study something. They will pray. Lifted their voices. That's the second thing here. They lifted their voices to God. 24. When they heard it, that's the church now, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord. That's important to remember, isn't it? Oops. Sovereign Lord who made heaven, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. We'll look more at the content in, in just a second. But I want you to notice here, and I hope you don't get sick of hearing this, I want you to notice that this wasn't just sort of a quiet, pious, inner meditation. They, they lifted their voices together. When, when, when Tom stands here and we're finishing, oh, praise the name of the Lord our God, and Tom comes, and sometimes he's hard to hear, but, and he'll say, you know, let's just lift our hands, lift our voices, and give, give praise to the Lord. What, what do you see happening there? Like, how do you picture it? Do you, do you stand and think, oh, here they go again, those Pentecostals, you got some worship leader up there yammering, louder, church, louder, come on. Is that what you see happening? Is that what you think this is about? Let's, let's prove we're noisier than the Presbyterians. Seriously? Is that what you think that's about? It wasn't so God would hear them. It wasn't to prove they were Pentecostal or charismatic. It wasn't just because some worship leader had prompted them. Let me tell you why they did it. A, they were aware of the desperateness of their own need. They raised their voices because they were in earnest. It mattered. 
They, they, were, they were moved. They were passionate about this. It was important. They felt the weight of what they were doing. Urgent. You, you, you see someone, when you're walking down the street and you see somebody, they're about five floors up, they've got the window open, they're about to jump. There you stand. What do you do? Oh, gee, you really shouldn't do that. It's not a good thing. No, we all know. Wait, hey, wait, don't do that. Why? Why? It's not a trick question. Well, there's, there's a lot at stake here, right? This is urgent. Sovereign Lord, you've seen their threats. Here's another reason they raised their voices. They were aware of the strength of their enemy, and they weren't taking him lightly. There was energy put into this intercession. Maybe, do you think maybe there were people in that group, they raised their voices to God? Do you think there's people in the group that maybe, as a lot of Jewish people had studied, you know, their Hebrew text, and they had remembered how Joshua... (laughs) went around the walls of Jericho and on the seventh day. Do you think there were people in this prayer meeting that thought, oh yeah, and they all raised their voice and shouted. Remember what happened to the walls? Here's another reason. They were aware of the awesome power of God. God was great in their eyes. They were excited about Him. They were calling on Him to reveal His power. Unlike many of us, as they prayed and called on God's name, they sensed they were on the edge of something really great, something about to happen. They were engaged in the same way people get engaged when they're, you know, it won't happen, but the Leafs are in the Stanley Cup and there you are in the crowd. You know how loud it gets. They focused on the power of God in creation. It's in this 24th verse. They lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord who, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. That, that's just about everything. The focus is God's creational power and majesty. But this, it's not just like they're proclaiming they don't believe in evolution. That's not what this is about. They didn't just proclaim they believed in a creator. There's, there's, a, there's a, a knife-sharp difference between a belief in God that's theologically accurate, you are the creator, and one that's prayerfully powerful. And so these early Christians were affirming their faith by proclaiming, Lord, your power is greater than our enemies. We trust you to be greater than all the nations and their leaders, whatever they might say. You're still the creator over all. We believe that through our prayers, you can accomplish your purpose as you did in creation, and you can accomplish it in this generation and in this persecution. Sovereign Lord, you made everything. As they prayed, 
They bring, I like this, it's not just loud, it's intelligent. They bring everything they know to be true about God and they bring it and focus it on their present situation. That's how it should work. You see that in verse 29. We're almost done. Here's the important word. Just got done talking about God's sovereignty. God, you're the creator of all. You made the lands. You made the sea. You made the nations. And everyone in those things. That's everybody. And now, Lord. See, that, that's, that's what good praying does. That's what good information does. Now, Lord, look upon their threats. This is their situation. And grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Those are the three important words. And now, Lord. Here's your might in creation. But here's our situation now. And now, Lord... We trust you to be the same God doing the same things. Now do it in our situation. Wouldn't you love to be with the church praying like that? I would. Do it now. That's the difference, in case you didn't know. That's the difference between a Bible-believing church and a New Testament church. A Bible-believing church agrees that the text states truth. A Bible-believing church says, yes, I believe that's true. I hope we're a Bible-believing church. A New Testament church says, Lord, not only is this historically true, but I know it describes you and the way you are today. And we call on you because there are many things that are never going to happen in our circumstances until we take what we know about you and we link it up with our situation in prayer. My information about God by itself is not going to change much in prayer. It's the application of what I know as we call upon God. That's exactly what these Christians in Acts chapter 4 did. They knew their scriptures. They knew what their scriptures said about the creator of God. And then they call upon him and they applied what they saw in their scriptures to their present situation. They did it together. They did it earnestly. They did it regularly. And that's the pathway charted for us in the New Testament church. That's the pathway. Pastor Don, don't you get worried about, you know, we see these guys on TV and, and everybody's manufacturing miracles all over the place and a whole bunch of them just turn out to be a scam and everybody's selling miracle spring water from the Holy Land. You send me 50 bucks and I'll send you a little green cloth. You can sprinkle it, and put it on your head, and do a dance, do whatever you want. Aren't you afraid, you, you know, that text, aren't you afraid you're just going to end up with some of those wingy, And that's a fear. It can happen. It's not my main fear. My main fear 
is that you, you, get to, you get to year after year after year coming to a place like this and running staff and paying bills and keeping the lights on and we come and do our thing and off we go. And, and you lose that edge of, of crying out to God for something miraculous and believing together in prayer and an earnestness that isn't winginess. I didn't say winginess. An earnestness like that, like that pattern that knows what the text says and isn't afraid to say, but this is us. And we call on you to do this today. And as long as it's biblically based, man, that's the kind of church I want to be at. There's umpteen dozen churches that anybody off the street can walk in and they're virtually all the same. I love to be in a church where people come and they say, oh, God did something in that place. Don't you? God did something in that place. Everyone's sad? Let's pray.